If you're a sports fan, this last weekend had pretty much everything that you could ask for. It was like a smorgasbord of sports, from the NHL All-Star Game to the Pro Bowl to a very action-packed college basketball weekend. And I'm talking North Carolina and Duke. I mean, this is where it's at. So if you're a sports fan, you were treated this last weekend to pretty much one of the best weekends of the year with everything that was happening. So go ahead, tune on in, watch this show, guys. I'm your host, Matthew Raritan, and this is Total Sports Talk Beyond the Lights. What is going on, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Total Sports Talk Beyond the Lights. Guys, this was such a great weekend. I'm going to ask you guys here in a second what you guys did, but I'm going to tell you really quick something that I did this week, and this is on a more personal note. This is not sports-related. Uh, for those of you who do not know, I have just, I've found out that I'm going to be a father. Uh, me and my lovely wife are expecting a child, and we had our gender reveal party this last weekend where it was announced that we will be having a boy. So I just want to let you guys know that that is something that I did this weekend. It was the highlight of my weekend. Um, but with that being said, there was a lot of other things that happened this weekend. And I'm sure uh, with you guys, there was probably watching these uh, college basketball games or even watching the NHL uh, skills competitions, the Pro Bowl skills competitions. I'm sure you didn't watch the flag football because, well, um, I'm not sure who did. But uh, viewings do tend to uh, differ on that because over the last two years, actually, the, um, the ratings have kind of gone up just because I, I, I say more on the skills competition. I think that's kind of piqued some people's interest. I know when I used to watch the Pro Bowl games, uh, that's really what I like to see was the skills competition. I always used to wonder who was the fastest guy out there. It always piqued my interest. But now they are starting to bring back more of these things that kind of get you uh, uh, interested a little bit. But uh, I want to introduce my host here first. I've got uh, David Street. What's up, everybody? Oh, and for the record, I actually correctly predicted the name of Matthew's now son. And Matthew can back me up on this. Yes, yes, I can. Uh, David, somehow, uh, he is a magician. Uh, David Street, David Copperfield, I don't know. It one and the same, but he did figure this out, which is amazes me still to this day. Um, and uh, secondly, we've got Ed Smith. Welcome, y'all. And no, I did not correctly uh, figure out the name, although I did suggest some Pittsburgh Steeler names. Yeah, knowing Ed, uh, he was kind of on the right track there, uh, guessing uh, Pittsburgh Steeler names. And I will reveal the name at a later date, but uh, uh, you guys could guess. Uh, th those are enough hints right there uh, for you to possibly guess what. I can I can tell you that one of the names that Ed suggested was Terrible Towel. Terrible <laughs> Towel Raritan. T.T. Raritan. It was my I thought it was weird, but... <laughs> Yeah, nope. Uh, I mean, uh, Ed, you know, I'm sure his firstborn son would be Cheesehead, but, you know, uh, we'll, we'll talk about that. <laughs> mine's going to be Skull and Bones if yeah. we're going to go off our NFL teams. Yeah. <laughs> Nitschke Smith. <laughs> um, but, yes, uh, like I mentioned, guys, this, this was actually a really great weekend. If you wanted to sit back and relax, there was plenty of sports on for you to watch, and I felt like a lot of it delivered. Uh, I'm sure you guys watched uh, some of these events as they unfolded, but I kind of want to actually start and, and talk about one of the bigger events that happened this weekend, and that was college basketball, guys. There was some marquee matchups uh, that took place. So I'm going to go over that really quick and I'm going to uh, go over the uh, most recent rankings that came out. But it all started Friday uh, night where unranked Butler 
They upset number 13 Creighton in such a nail-biter. I mean, it was a one-point game, 99-98, to which is a phenomenal game. I mean, that's a lot of offense right there. Um, but then that action rolled over right into Saturday with number one ranked UConn as they defeated St. John's 77 to 47. UConn has kind of just really stood out right now uh, at top of the pack. Uh, kind of, you feel like it's been a while since we hear UConn's name really being uh, dominant like they are. But college basketball sometimes can be so unpredictable. Um, but the matchup that was talked about, of course, the most, uh, that's every time they play each other. That's Duke and North Carolina. These teams have such rich history. But the Tar Heels pulled out that one with the dub, 93-84. to 84. Um, But we're not finished. We saw the number eight Jayhawks take down the number four Houston Cougars by 13 points. Um, and then we had a primetime SEC matchup. And I'm not just talking about an SEC matchup on the football field, they can show up on the basketball court as well. And that was the number five Tennessee Bowls, where they pulled out a huge road win against the Kentucky Wildcats, 103 to 92. Now, when you think of the state of Texas, you may think of Friday Night Lights with how football is there, but man, did it deliver this Saturday as we saw the 12th ranked Cyclone down to Baylor? And well, they got bared down, no pun intended there, 70 to 68. And lastly, the unranked Hook'em Longhorns came into Fort Worth and had the last laugh as they held the horns up to the Horn Frogs with a 77 to 66 statement victory. But now on the second worst basketball floor in the country. <laughs> Tell us how you really feel, Ed. Tell us how you really feel. I'm sure it's behind Oregon's, but oh um, yeah, <laughs> I know. Ever since Oregon released that court, uh, nothing but just just bad comments. But uh, the rankings that just came out, and these are actually uh, pay attention to these rankings because well, we're going to talk about uh, a couple games after these rankings. These rankings just came out on Monday. I'm just going to go over the top 10 here really quick. Um, number one, UConn. Uh, number two, you've got Purdue. Uh, no surprise there in the one, two. Number three, North Carolina. Uh, and number four, Kansas, especially with that upset victory over uh, Houston. Houston only moved down one spot to the fifth spot. Tennessee with their victory over uh, Kentucky. They're at number six. You got Marquette at seven, Arizona at eight, and then uh, Duke at nine. And to round out the top 10, you've got Illinois. So Duke, though, uh, even though with the loss, they are only down to number nine. But since those rankings have came out, surprise, surprise, there has been some upsets already as we have already seen North Carolina and Kansas go down uh, with an upset victories since those rankings came out. So expect those to change. But at the end of the day, how much do these rankings really matter when it comes to March Madness? Because that's when we see the unthinkable happen or uh, you just never know what's going to happen come March. But just pay attention to some of these uh, races within the the conferences. I mean, uh, Tennessee and Alabama uh, are right there. Um, you're you're going to see a lot of these races come down to the very end. So those are worth paying attention um, to. But before I ask you guys on some of these uh, big Saturday weekend games, I just want to talk about, well, this show called Guys Night. Ladies, I'm sure you guys have wondered kind of what guys talk about behind closed doors, whether it's in the locker room or at the gym when they're with their bros, whatever it may be. Uh, gentlemen, I mean, are you tired of kind of all the feminized chick shows where the dudes are censoring themselves because, well, ladies are present and you don't want to get canceled because, well, that does happen now? Uh, if yes, check out this new show uh, called Guys Night. Uh, it is an American Daily Press special. It's just three dudes talking about dude stuff. There's no script. Uh, there's just no planning, no professionalism, just guys doing guy things. I mean, it's kind of like going to the local bar, the pub, uh, dropping into the barracks, and just how guys talk. 
Uh, so feel free to drop in, subscribe, like, and leave comments to join the conversation. Dave and Rob like to read the best ones and answer questions in the next show, where it's Phil. If you guys know Phil, well, he likes to read the worst ones because, well, they make him laugh. Uh, just how he is. So tune in, guys. Grab an ice-cold beverage of your choice and hang out with the guys tonight. Guys night, check them out. American Daily Press special. But back to our special here where – I want to hear your guys' thoughts on some of the games that stood out to you this weekend because there were plenty. So, David, I'm going to go ahead and start with you. What game kind of stood out to you the most? Well, Duke, North Carolina, man, like when you think of college basketball, um, the first thing that's going to pop up in a lot of people's heads is the Duke-North Carolina rivalry. And, and Matthew, you you all, you already mentioned the score before being 93-84. to 84. Um, But, you know, this game wasn't actually as close as the final score indicated. This was a game that North Carolina was in complete control of like almost from the beginning, like Duke led just one time. And that was when they scored the first couple of points um, of the game. And then there were like a, a few, a few ties. Um, but for the most part, um, this was North Carolina's game and it helped that they were uh, powered um, by their two-star players, uh, Ar- Armando Baycott, who uh, went 25, 10 and five, I believe. And uh, uh, Harrison Ingram, who had 21 points, uh, 13 boards, and uh, four steals. And if you uh, look across the board, I mean, North Carolina dominated uh, Duke in uh, uh, three-point percentage uh, assists, and they had significantly uh, less turnovers. And certainly what helped North Carolina is that home court advantage. I mean, you know, um, Smith Center um, is one of the best, if not the best, home court advantage in college basketball. And with the victory, um, North Carolina now, I believe, moves to 144 um, to 117 against uh, Duke. And this actually kind of surprised me because I always thought the matchup between North Carolina and Duke was very, very close. But I didn't realize that North Carolina was actually that far ahead of Duke and especially uh, in Chapel Hill. Like they've dominated the Blue Devils in Chapel Hill. I think I saw all time there. 66 and 66 and 39 um, against the Blue Devils uh, in Chapel Hill. Now um, in Smith Center, because you know the Heels haven't always played in the same arena. In Smith Center, it's a little closer, 21 and 18, um, but that's still obviously a, a winning record um, against them. Um, but yeah, like I said, man, this game was not as close as the final score had indicated. Um, this was North Carolina's game pretty much from uh, beginning to. And, um, but at the end of the day, listen, um, I don't think either of these teams have anything to worry about. They're both going to comfortably make the tournament, uh, barring some, uh, epic collapses. I mean, I know North Carolina just, uh, got upset by, uh, by a Clemson. Um, but I don't see Clemson or excuse me, Clemson. I don't see North Carolina, um, going down too far of a collapse. I think they're still going to make the, ter- the tournament and I think Duke should be, uh, fine as well. Um, but Ed, um, what do you, what do you think? From what I saw out of North Carolina, you know, they do have some holes in their team, but they're very minute. They're not as consistent and balanced the way UConn is right now, but they are definitely a force to be reckoned with when it comes time to seeding when it, uh, in the tournament. You know, we'll see what happens in the ACC tournament at the end of the season. Because when you're talking about Duke going into North Carolina, you know, they've done it 150 times. So they know what to expect to being in that environment. But, you know, sometimes being in the Dean Dome is just overwhelming for Duke. And it really looked that way uh, from start to finish in that game. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to know, like, like what year is Baycott in? Is like, is this his fourth, fifth year? It feels like he's been at North Carolina for ages. I, I couldn't tell you. It, it, you know, for for watching North Carolina basketball, I I can't remember the last time I looked at that roster and did not see his name on it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I mean. Uh... We've already said it several times with Duke and North Carolina kind of being the staple. Uh, we we all remember the days of Coach K and Roy Williams always battling it out. It seemed like their names were synonymous with March Madness or their names were synonymous with college basketball, just as Alabama is with college football. That's just now, how it was. And I'll go one more. I you know I remember several years of 
uh, Coach K and Dean Smith, yeah, you know, trolling that sideline. You know, Roy Williams was the coach at Kansas yep. uh, before he went over to North Carolina. So that has been a top flight rivalry for my entire lifetime. And you guys talk about how old I am every single day that I talk to you. Yeah. So just imagine how long that really feels like to me, you know, to mm-hmm. see those two programs always have been part of the legacy of college basketball. Yeah. Yeah. They- they could be unranked and we'd still tune in to watch them because that's just how much of a fun rivalry it's been to watch as a fan. And also like when it comes to like either Duke or, or North Carolina, it's like you just know that they're never going to be down too bad. Like even like last year, uh, North Carolina missed the tournament entirely. And now, and now this year uh, they're pretty much a lot to, uh, to make it in. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so that that is something to keep an eye on to see from a team that wasn't in it last year to now uh, not only making it, but could they possibly win it? That's you know, there's always gonna be a question mark because anything can happen in March. Uh, I know earlier I talked about UConn and not really having that relevance. Yes, they won last year; they were a four seed, um, but it, it's anyone could win. It's anyone's game at any given time. It's almost like which one seed is going to go down first? That seems mm-hmm. to be the story. Is there going to be another 16 seed that wins this year? Uh, well, Vegas, I'll be interested to see those odds. <laughs> but uh, there, there's a, there's actually a couple other games that happened this weekend and go, kind of floating into this, this week, and that is a Kansas weekend. And, Ed, you're going to kind of tell us more of what you saw this weekend out of Kansas. Yeah, going from a rivalry in which uh, the other team – has been in each other's dome for 150 games. This is the first time Houston made the trip to Fog Allen Fieldhouse and not as a conference opponent. I I wasn't able to go back and find where they had actually played out of conference, but with Houston, you know, BYU, uh, you know, entering the conference this year, this is the first conference game that Houston uh, played in Lawrence, Kansas. And, it's an experience they will not forget uh, because, you know, that that place is so difficult for a team that's never been there before to experience. They looked rattled. Houston looked rattled. And this is a team that really prides itself on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, normally they only give up a uh, gave up 35.5% field goal percentage, you know, you turn around and have the first nine of 10 shots drop, you know, for Kansas against them, they were shell shocked and they look shell shocked for, you know, for the first half for sure. And it just, you know, they, Kansas kept the momentum going through the rest of the game. You know, when you're, when getting into uh, the, that road mentality, you know, you have to have your stars play better. Uh, it looked like Kansas was playing the defense that Houston is known for, you know, because Houston only shot 36% from the field, 31% behind the arc. You know, that's not their game. You know, their game is if you if they can stop you from scoring enough, then they're going to stay in it, and then they're going to beat you in the end. Kansas would not let that happen. You're talking about – a team I I had not seen this in quite some time. Kansas shot sixty nine percent from the floor and forty six percent behind the arc. That is a lot, especially against a team that prides itself on the defensive end of the floor. You know they really stretched them, you know side to side on the court, and they knocked down big shot after big shot after big shot. And it's the home court that really carried them. You know, because we we've all seen it. We've all seen the crowd, the energy that the Kansas faithful give the Jayhawks on the court. And, you know, they just took it over. They knew this was a big game to assert their dominance still in the Big 12 when, you know, the rankings had them all behind Houston going into this weekend. You know, they need to show the country, you know, remind them who Kansas is and who Bill Self is as a head coach. So 
when Samson brings that group in, they know this is uh, Big 12 country. This is Kansas country. They've got to earn their right at the top of this mountain. But <clears throat> uh, so in the end, 78-65 was the final score. You know, you had Hunter Dickinson with 20 points uh, and he had eight rebounds. You know, very solid. Uh, Furphy uh, had 17 points. Uh, McCuller had 17 points. You know, they really carried the offense, but the whole uh, Kansas team carried that offense. Now, not to say that there weren't uh, some Cougars that didn't have a decent game. I mean, Roberts had a double-double. Cryer had 24 points, but it just wasn't enough to overcome the the wave of emotion that Fog Island Fieldhouse gives uh, the home team. Now, the issue becomes what happens when you leave that environment. And Kansas had to go play the little brother. They went and played at Kansas State, you know, on Monday night, and it just wasn't the same. You know, it was a, an environment that was not as raucous as Fog Allen, but it was an environment that suited Kansas State, and it really carried them to overtime. And overtime is where Kansas State really excels. They have won 11 straight overtime games. Ooh. And <laughs> which That's is insane. that is an insane stat, you know, and they needed it because they needed to get to that overtime because this is a team coming off of a four game losing streak. And, you know, what better way to do it than beat your in-state rival, you know, being the little brother uh, to Kansas in basketball, uh, you know, what better way to stop that uh, losing streak than beating big brother in your house you know, with the national audience of Big Monday basketball, you know, and they showed up, they showed out the defense that Kansas showed out to Houston over the weekend because the Jayhawks went from that 69% shooting down to 41 and only 20% behind the arc. You know, a huge difference when you're talking about one game to the next, not being at home and then being on the road. So, you know, at the end of that game, Kansas State finally pulled it out at 75 to 70. And, you know, yes, Kansas jumped in the rankings after beating Houston. They'll probably drop a little bit, but I don't see them getting any lower than a two seed when we come uh, tournament time, you know, for those seedings. And, you know, I'm sure, guys, that y'all, you know, kind of clicked in and or at least saw some score updates on this. Were there any points that y'all saw out of the out of these two games that you know stood out to you? I, I think I think shooting sixty nine percent from the field as a team is incredible, and forty six percent beyond the arc. I mean that's that's such an incredible feat. And if you have a team that can do that, that it, it's you're pulling out. You should be pulling out a victory easily when you're putting those kind of numbers. You look at the Golden State Warriors, what they were able to do for so many years is uh, they prided themselves not only beyond the arc, but they were such an incredible offensive team, and it really helped them win as they won multiple championships. But to see Kansas do that against a team like Houston, I think is incredible. It shows you it, it shows you what Kansas can do and how they're still a powerhouse. Then they go in with, with that high and they lose to Kansas State. Mm-hmm. You know, you you never know, but you could slip up at any given point. So uh, you absolutely you know. cannot take a night off in the Big Twelve. No. Yeah. No. Well, I tell you what, you know, Kansas, um, Kansas may have been uh, they, they may be inconsistent um, or they may have like moments of inconsistency. But, you know, who has not been inconsistent? Hunter Dickinson. He has been as good as advertised. He was, you know, uh, far and away the most hyped player uh, coming to the season, um, at least from the transfer portal. And for good reason. And he is not he is not disappointed at all. No, no. I mean, uh, you Kansas needed someone like that, and I think his name, you're going to hear him a lot come March. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. If you haven't already. <laughs> but, uh, gosh, We've I, only said it like six times in the past two minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> you know, 
and it's this is just shows you that I, I'm young, but every time I hear the word cougar, I actually think of Zach Wilson. If you know, you know. But uh, you're, old, you're older than me. Like I'm actually I'm actually the the youngest one uh, in this lineup. I know, I know, but it's just that <laughs> only by only by a few months though. So like. Yeah, yeah, not not by much, not by much. But um, but there was another uh, marquee matchup this weekend, and that was Tennessee and Kentucky. And guys, this was such a big game for the Vols because it's one thing when you're playing a conference team that's already you know anything can happen, but playing on the road that's another that's that's another tough test. And the Vols they showed what they can do. They've been such a highly talked about team the last several years because of really what they've been producing. And it, it's really showing this year. Granted, they aren't atop of the SEC. Uh, this game showed really what they're made of. I think this was their most complete game of the entire season as their entire starting five scored double digits. Uh, they just looked really great. And they were clicking on all cylinders, but their starting point guard is a Kai Zeigler. I mean, he shot eight from 11 from the field. Uh, so he was really feeling hot and he, you know, he ended up the game with 26 points, but he dished out 13 assists. And I, I think that is exactly what a point guard is right there. I mean, 26 points, 13 assists. That's a job well done right there from your starting point guard. So huge props to him. Um, but Kentucky, on the other hand, well, they were playing catch-up the entire game. And I mean that when I say the entire game, as they started out scoring zero points the first three minutes of the game, they just struggled to score early. And that was pretty much the ultimate story of the game. They were playing catch-up because they did not lead or tie the game once, unless you count 0-0, the tie game. They did not lead the entire game, let alone tie, tie it. That's just how much they were playing catch-up. But they did come within one point early, in the early minutes of the second half um, when they cut the score to four, cut the score to 46 to 45. But that would be the closest that they would see the rest of the game as the Bulls stretched out. I mean, their largest lead of the second half was 12 points at one point. Uh, they won the game by, I want to say, 11. I think it was 103-92 right around there. So they really pretty much were in control from the get-go. And, guys, I mean, this was on the road. This is big. Road games are not easy to win. But Tennessee, uh, I just think that they looked they looked amazing. Um, and they're one game behind uh, Alabama within the conference right now. If you're paying attention to those races, they are one game. But – the, the Wildcats, they fell down to three games back. So it's just the Wildcats, uh, they just don't really seem to have that it factor that they once had when you're talking about, you know, Devin Booker being there, Willie Coley-Stein, DeMarcus Cousins, all those guys that they brought out of there. Nowadays, you're just not seeing that anymore with Kentucky. But Tennessee, they're, they're showing the country that they have what it takes, but I keep talking about this over and over again. Come March, you may think you have all that it takes, but if you don't show up when it matters most, then you're just going to be gone. And that's what's happened with Tennessee the last several years. They were just highly anticipated to really go into this tournament to possibly make it all the way to the championship where they have all fallen short to even get there. So Tennessee, I'll be interested to see what they could do the rest of this year and going into March because uh, this is a great team. I really think that Tennessee has something going for them, but can they get all those pieces together when it matters most? That is something that will be answered come March. Yeah. Well, I mean, listen, like at the end of the day, I, I just cannot trust a Rick Barnes team in March. And quite frankly, um, if Tennessee could – if Tennessee wasn't able to win it all back when they had guys like Admiral Schofield, uh, you know, Grant Williams, like that team was insane. Like if, if that team under Barnes couldn't win it all, then I'm sorry. Like I cannot trust any other uh, Tennessee team under, under Rick Barnes to uh, win the whole thing. How dare you take my point? Because I'm somebody that saw Rick sorry, Barnes Ed. for 10 years at Texas do the exact same thing that he does at Tennessee. <laughs> yeah. So. You know, so I'm going back to like TJ Ford and 
you know, DJ Augustine and, uh, oh, I, I, uh, he got Kevin Durant in there, yeah, uh, into Texas. I, uh, and also LaMarcus Aldridge. That's the name yeah. I was thinking of. Yeah. If you can't win with those guys, uh, what are you doing? Yeah. You know, maybe you need to look at, maybe it's a you problem, dude. Uh, so, you know, to see Tennessee, you know, do so well in the regular season uh, and be such a tough team during a regular season and then to just fold up a tent like a tent, you know, when you get to, you know, winning time, yeah, that's that's always been Rick Barnes's you know, biggest thing in my eyes from the years that I've seen him coach. Yeah, that's his specialty is losing when it matters most <laughs> instead yeah. of winning. So when you, you know, we we, saw, we see the complete opposite with uh, Calipari. I mean, I just talked about how he, uh, all the stars he had on his team, he was winning with those stars for the mm-hmm. most part. But now since he doesn't have those stars anymore, where is he at? I mean, <laughs> it's just. Yeah. It, I mean, that, like, the one year that Kentucky won it all under Calipari, I mean, like, that team was just an all-time great team, man. Like, those guys were just absurd. I mean, going, like, going 38-2 and two in men's basketball is incredible. Yeah, I mean, they... Every team looks better when you have the best athletes on the floor. Yeah. Yeah, I, that's <laughs> what I'm saying. That, that's why it's, like, it's also a, a you problem when it comes to him because it wasn't really... Was it really him, or was it the players that really won that championship for that team? Well, and that's the thing too with like with Rick Barnes, man. It's like you know, you, like you pretty much pretty much said it yourself that they they won in spite of uh, Cal Perry. And like, I feel like what it's going to take for Rick Barnes to finally win it all is that he's going to have to he's going to have to have a roster that is just so far ahead of everybody else that they can practically coach themselves that they don't need Rick Barnes. I got a quick comp. Let me see if y'all – it just came to mind, just off the top of my head. Rick Barnes is the college basketball equivalent to Mike McCarthy. Oh, that is brutal. Oh, I like it. Obviously, only difference being that McCarthy at least has a championship. But otherwise, I think that's pretty spot on. He, he, he basically had a quarterback that played well above – what McCarthy was able to uh, do on his own. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you mean Jason Garrett or <laughs> anyone <laughs> who was the Cowboys coach, pretty much, you know? <laughs> there it <laughs> that, is. That's kind of pretty much how it is. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> But th- there was more than just uh, college basketball that happened this weekend. Uh, we we saw the NHL All Star Game and its festivities, and give you guys just a quick recap on that. Yes, Connor McDavid is still the fastest man in all of North America, and uh, you know it. Hockey goes with Canada, and Canada can't be mentioned without either Drake or Justin Bieber. Yes, Justin <laughs> Bieber's name was mentioned all throughout it. So. That's your recap right there. Oh, and Austin Matthews, that guy knows how to score. So that's your recap pretty much of NHL All-Star Game. Anything you need to know when it comes to that, yes, there was a lot more than that. But what I really want to talk about is I want to get uh, everyone's predictions here on the second half of the NHL season because, yes, the All-Star Game marks the halfway point. We still got another you know, half or so or if you want to do uh, a third of the season, however you want to put it. But uh, the NHL is still got another half of their uh, season to go, and I want to hear – your guys' predictions on what you're thinking. I'm going to go ahead and start with Ed first. I appreciate you starting with me first, Matthew, because being in a not a hockey town and not knowing as much as you guys do, uh, I want to take some of the low-hanging fruit if I could. Uh, and part of that is uh, I want to take a look at two teams that I'm looking forward to in the second half, having good second halves and going into the playoffs. And the first team from the Eastern side is going to be the Boston Bruins. You know, to me, there's nothing that gets a hockey team through to where it wants to go like a goalie. You know, it it doesn't matter what you play in front of them. If you've got a red hot goalie, you have a chance to go much further. And I point no further than Jake Ottinger a couple of years ago in the playoffs when he was nothing but a brick wall. Uh, and when there was nothing in front of him offensively. So 
you know, that's what I look to. And when you're looking at uh, Boston, they've got Jeremy Swayman. You know, he is working on a contract year. Uh, he is playing on a contract year. So he is really proving his point that he needs to get paid a lot more than he would have been uh, signed for la- over the last summer. And, you know, it's working out for him this time. So the further you get through this year and into the playoffs, you know, with Boston's style of hockey, you know, he is going to be so crucial uh, getting, you know, you know, getting between the pipes, you know, creating that wall in front of the net and just helping that team, you know, accomplish their goal. Because right now, you know, you could say that they're top, you know, three or four, you know, even top two uh, in the in hockey right now. So, and a big part of that is, you know, not giving up goals that are just gimmies and then being able to turn it around and get goals on the other end. Now, the other team that I would be looking for on the Western side, and surprise, surprise, they are the story of hockey right now, it's the Edmonton Oilers. You know, no me and the Oilers. That is, I am all about it. You know, <laughs> maybe a different sport, but sure, I'll take it. You know, but, you know, how far we have come since November when the Oilers were 3-9-1. and one. I mean, right now, uh, they are on a win streak for the ages. And as of us talking right now, uh, they are uh, in the midst of uh, playing the Golden Knights, which is going to be one of their roadblocks to get to where they want to go. You know, I'm thinking that the Oilers are going to wind up, you know, getting, you know, riding this momentum all the way through the regular season, you know, because of the offense and because of Connor McDavid. But what, what have we consistently seen in every sport teams that rely on their offense to get to the playoffs, their physicality gases out when it comes to the defensive side. And that's what you need to win it all. So I would see them go, you know, probably in the top four seeds uh, into the playoffs, but I would definitely see them out within the first round uh, to two rounds, you know, for the simple as that, just because, you know, there's going to be more physical uh, teams out there that will be able to bully them into a submission. For context, the record, by the way, uh, the Edmonton Oilers need just one more win to tie the all time season win streak, which was uh, set by uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins in the 90s. And yes, I checked my phone for that. Okay. We, we like to check our sources here, folks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, those are those are great points, Ed. And I think you are spot on when it comes to the goalie. Uh, if you look at pretty much almost every great team, especially going into the Stanley Cup, uh, it, it is always backed by an amazing goalie. So I think the goalie play really helps the, the momentum of the game. If you watch every hockey game at the end, they go they go straight up to the goalie. They, you know, they thank him, they congratulate him because that's pretty much the center of a great team is their goalie. But uh, I was going to go straight here to David, and I'm still going to, but I have a feeling that me and David are probably going to have a lot of the same talking points here of our predictions. So I kind of want to do a quick back and forth between me and David. So David, first, I want to hear your predictions for uh, the president's trophy. I mean, I, I feel like uh, we could be very close here. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, as we all know, I mean, the president's trophy race right now is between the Vancouver Canucks um, and the Boston Bruins. Um, right now, I think I think the Canucks are ahead of the Bruins by a couple of points. But you know what, Matthew? I actually have the Bruins clinching the president's uh, trophy for the second year in a row. For you know, simple reason really, um, I think the Bruins' uh, experience ultimately is gonna what is gonna be what put, pushes them over. You know, like the the Canucks are kind of that like young up up and coming team. Um, they really have like kind of come come out of nowhere. Um, like I, I wouldn't say it's surprising that they're that they're doing uh, good. I think like you know they've been building up to this point, but I don't think anybody expected them to be to be as dominant as they are right now. But at the end of the day, I think Boston's experience is going to push them over the edge. And I have the Bruins clenching uh, the best record for the second straight year. How about you? 
Yeah, so actually, I think right now, actually, I think it's tied. I think they're at 71 points apiece right now between the two. Um, I mean, they're pretty close. Um, I, could I think it's that. I think the Canucks have 73 points now. I think they, uh, oh, I think they, they played today. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. They beat the Hurricanes three to two. Okay. So current. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so, but I am still with David here. I do think that the Bruins are going to take the president's trophy, which they should probably avoid like the plague. Uh, if you know, you know, and I'm going to explain here. We talked about earlier March Madness, the 16th. 16th seed, you know, possibly upset a number one seed. Well, when it comes to the Stanley Cups playoffs, if you've got the President's Trophy, you're almost guaranteed not making it out of the first round. That as, as a fan of a team that won the President's Trophy, trust me, I know. I want to forget that moment, but I can't. It is a legit curse that we see almost year in and year out, and we saw it last year with the 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 record. Boston Bruins with this is the record team we're talking about here went into the first round and was upset in uh, seven games I'm sure yeah. against mm-hmm. the Florida Panthers so I mean it it happens and it, it happens pretty frequently in hockey so if I'm the Bruins I'm I'm avoiding that thing like the plague let the Canucks have it but I think though the Bruins in the end are going to uh, take home the President's Trophy once again uh, but it, actually the Canucks I, that's my other shocking thing is out over in the West, I actually have the Avalanche. I think they're going to overtake the Canucks and uh, and take the, the best record out over in the West when it comes to the Stanley Cup playoffs. So that's my prediction when it comes to that. But uh, this is also going to be another fun conversation here, and that is the Art Ross Trophy for the player with who finishes the season with the most points. Um David, I'm gonna go ahead and get your prediction. And just for fun, I'm gonna let Ed give just uh just say a name for a prediction too, Ed. <laughs> Which trophy is this? Uh pretty much Art, Art Ross. Yeah, Art Ross. So the the person who scores the most points. Uh oh, well, for, I already said his name. It's Connor. <laughs> He's just gonna outskate everybody and you know, you, <laughs> you know, you put put Connor McDavid out there with Apollo Ono. Let's see who's faster. I, that's yeah. all I can say upon that. Well, I, actually, here, I'll take this one first, and I'll let David actually finish this one off. So the Art Ross Trophy right now is a tie up at the top at 85 points between, well, David's you know fan favorite of Kucherov out of Tampa Bay Lightning and Nathan McKinnon out of the Colorado Avalanche. And notice I did not mention Ed's prediction, Connor McDavid, uh, who has won the last three in a row, Art Ross trophies uh, in the last five, and five out of the last seven. That's just how dominant Connor McDavid is with hockey uh, as of recent. But he's currently sitting at sixty-seven points. That's going to be you know a pretty tough stretch for him to get. Uh, it's not the easiest road ahead, especially if he wants to try to keep on pace with none other than the great one. Who, but holds- given that, it, real quick, given that, that it is Connor McDavid, certainly you not be you not be surprised if the dude just went superhuman in the second half. Yeah, and and as the team Edmonton Oilers has, I mean, they lost twelve out of their first thirteen games of the year. I'm pretty sure, and now here they are, one game away from tying the record for most games in a row with a win. So, so that would that would that make Connor McDavid kind of like a. Dan Marino type, you know, to have all the individual accolades, but, you know, no team wins. You know, it, it, are you saying that he's stepping back for the good of the team uh, as opposed to trying to get all the points for himself? I suppose so. Yeah, I mean, it, it very well could be. Um, but we, like David said, it's Connor McDavid we're talking about. He could come out of left field here and really just – end up winning this thing like it's easy so it, i would not be shocked in the slightest but like i was saying uh the great one wayne gretzky does hold the record with seven straight art ross trophies i mean he is that's why he is regarded as the the goat but conrad david though is uh one of those that is uh he could pass this but i think at the end it's going to be uh, kucherov who does take home the art ross trophy so David, you may like my prediction there, but we'll see if you have the same. 
You know, I wish we had, I wish I had a different prediction because debate is fun, but no, I, I agree with you, Matthew. I'm also going to take Kucherov. And the reason why I'm taking uh, Kucherov is because um, I think the Lightning are going to be a little more reliant on Kucherov to help them, you know, get to a playoff spot because like right now, like the Lightning are, they are in a playoff spot right now. Um, but, but, uh, but like the Avalanche are in a much more comfortable position, um, than, than the lightning are. And I'm not saying the Avs are going to do it, but it would not surprise me, um, if they rested, um, Nate, uh, Nathan McKinnon, I'm not saying it's going to happen to people. So like, just calm down. I'm just saying I would not be surprised if they rested, uh, uh, McKinnon, um, in the end uh, when the Avs clinched the playoffs. So I think the Lightning are going to rely more on more on Cooch um, to uh, help them uh, ultimately clinch a playoff spot, and that's why I have Cooch uh, clinching the Art Ross Trophy. All right. Yep. So I mean, we're we're kind of in we we are in agreement with kind of our our picks here. Actually, I don't um, think we're going to be in agreement with our playoff predictions, though. Yeah. Uh, do you? I mean, uh, I only have one other prediction, but if you have some other predictions, David, go ahead and take it. I want to hear your one prediction because I want to see if I can like maybe come up with something like, you know, quick, uh, quick after what you say. Well, I know you will be able to. And this is a tough prediction for me because this one hits a little bit more uh, at home. But uh, my prediction this year is for the second year in a row, the Penguins do not make the playoffs. And that will be the end of Coach Sullivan. Gotcha. Well, I'll wait until we get into our playoff predictions because I do have something to say about that. Yeah. Yeah, well, uh, no, but t- take the floor with anything. All right, cool. Let me just uh, get my notes here. Okay. I will uh, throw out a playoff prediction. And, you know, I I know nothing. I, I'll be, you know, as much as I've looked into all the hockey stuff today to try and, you know, keep up with you guys, I, I will I definitely do better for our audience here. Um, but – I'm going to do a quick prediction saying that the Knights and the Stars will be in the Western Conference Finals again. You know, we'll see Ottinger kind of get over these nagging injuries, uh, you know, that have plagued him. So they won't have to worry as much on, you know, this, the backup goalie uh, filling in for him. And they both have been there before. They are both physical. They are both tough and you know, they can play the game on their terms. You know, the only other team that I would see kind of get in their way is the Avalanche, uh, but that's that's a long way down the road. Uh, those are the two teams that I do see as the class of the Western Conference, uh, and that's why I would expect them to be in the Western Conference Finals again. Okay. Yeah, I love it. Um, let's get into my uh, let's get into the playoff predictions. Uh, give you my east pins and my uh, over to uh matthew um so you know and for those of you watching who uh who don't know the way that the playoff format works and the in the nhl is that you know for each conference the teams that make the playoffs it's the uh first three seeds uh from you know from uh, each division and then the first two seeds from the wild card standings right so um in the atlantic division uh Shocker, shocker. If I have the Bruins winning the President's Trophy, then obviously they're going to, I have them winning the Atlantic, okay? So I have the Bruins winning the Atlantic, and then the Panthers coming in second, and the Lightning coming in third. Uh, that is actually um, the current standing uh, right now, and I think it's going to uh, stay that way. So I think those three teams are going to make the playoffs. Then we move on to the Metro Division. So as of right now, the New York Rangers are uh, in the lead in the Metro Division. But guys, I actually think that the Hurricanes are going to over overtake the Rangers, and I have the Hurricanes winning the Metro Division. So in order, in the Metro, I have the Hurricanes followed by the Rangers, followed by the Flyers. You know, the Flyers are in a rough patch, a bit of a rough rough patch right now. Um, but I think they're still going to uh, make the playoffs as the third seed from the Metro division. Now we move on to the wild card and this is where things get interesting. Cause as, as of right now, the Maple Leafs and the Red Wings are uh, the, the, the top two teams in the Eastern wild card standings. Okay. Um, you know, Red Wings fans, uh, you got you guys have been experiencing some turmoil with your hockey team lately, but 
no more because I am predicting that you guys are going to clinch a wild card spot. I got you guys clinching the first wild wild card spot in the Eastern Conference. And then Matthew, you're gonna you're gonna love this, but I actually have the the Maple Leafs missing the playoffs, and I think the Penguins are going to have a second half surge. Um, and I think they're going to clinch. I, I just, I just cannot see the Penguins missing uh, the playoffs again. Not when you have guys like uh, Sidney Crosby and uh, Evgeny Malkin and and uh, Chris Letang um, and those guys. So I think your Penguins are going to have a second half surge, and I think they're going to clinch the final. Well, in the uh, um, and actually, Matthew, why don't we go ahead and listen to your uh, Eastern predictions? Just because I don't want to talk. Oh uh, yeah, we'll move on. Yeah, no. Uh, so, I mean, actually, I'm pretty pretty similar uh, to yours, actually. But I had more of my predictions on who I think's going to uh, be the final two in the end when it comes to uh, the East versus West and the Stanley Cup Finals. So, uh, I was going to get to that once you were actually done with your whole playoff rankings itself. So, if you want to okay. get to that, then we can. Okay, cool. All right. Uh, all right. So, right now uh, in in the West. Um, so the current uh, the current top three in the Central Division are the Stars, the Avalanche, and uh, the Jets. But how I think it's going to play out in the end, I think the Jets are actually going to uh, clinch the Central Division. I think the Stars are going to uh, be second in that division. And I actually have the Avs uh, dropping to uh, third. Um, in the Pacific Division, um, right now the standings are the Canucks, uh, Golden Knights and the Oilers. Uh, I think the Canucks are going to win the Pacific, and I think they're going to uh, win the Western Conference as a whole. Like they're going to clinch the best record in the Western Conference. Um, but I have the Oilers uh, coming in, uh, coming in to that second spot in the Pacific Division, and the Golden Knights uh, being third. And then as for the wild card position, uh, listen, I know, I know the Kings uh, just recently fired uh, their head coach, um, but you know it's funny, like. Every so often, we always like. There's always that one team when, whenever they fire their head coach and like they just go on this insane run. Um, I'm not saying it's going to happen with the Kings, but maybe it happens with the Kings. Well, right now the Kings are do have are holding on to the first wild card spot in the Western Conference, and I think they're, I think I think they're going to um, clinch the first wild card spot, and then the Blues currently hold the second wild card spot, but I actually do not have the Blues making the playoffs. I have the Nashville Predators um, taking that uh, second uh, wild card spot. Um, and there you have it. Those are those are all I think are to uh, make the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, those are all great points, uh, David. I, I, I mean, a little shocking with the, the avalanche, but I mean – uh, the the stars are playing really great hockey, so maybe they 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 can take them uh take over there and Avalanche fall down to three, but regardless, they still make the playoffs there. But uh, I Ed gave his prediction for the Western Conference uh finals. Um, me on the other hand, I have my prediction on who I just uh, it's just this is our prediction just going into the second half here, and you know maybe a wild one, but. Uh, in the Stanley Cup Finals, I actually have it, and this is a shocking one, to the New York Rangers versus the uh, Colorado Avalanche. I just think that uh, I think these uh, teams more, the Rangers, are really going to surprise some people. I know they're sitting in a great spot right now, but I, when it comes down to the stretch, Panarin, uh, Zabanajak, and Kreider, I think, are going to be the real leaders of this team uh, in the playoffs, and then I've always been really high on Kale McCarr. I think he is an amazing uh, player for the Avalanche. And then McKinnon, he he's always a top there too. So I think uh, you're going to see those two really lead their team uh, when it comes to uh, the uh, playoffs. So those are my predictions actually just for the Stanley Cup final. In the end, it, I, I got the, the Avalanche versus the New York Rangers. I could, I could see it happening because – Laviolette has a history of taking teams to the Stanley Cup Finals. He won a Stanley Cup with the Hurricanes. And then, if I remember correctly, I think he was the head coach of the Flyers when the Flyers lost to the Blackhawks. And then, was he was he also the coach of the, of the Predators when they went to the Stanley Cup? When they lost um, to the Penguins? Yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he was. Okay, yeah, yeah. 
So, so that's I mean, that, 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 that doesn't show that he could win it, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> get there. Or it, it shows that he can at least guide his team uh, to to the finals. So yeah. in that sense, your prediction isn't entirely off. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, we will definitely see. Uh, do you guys have any other predictions that you want to throw out really quick before I get to one other topic? You know what? Let me throw. You know what? Let me yeah. throw a Stanley Cup prediction right now. Yeah. And this is the and for the record, guys, this is the first time I'm going to be making this. I have not thought about this at all. Um, but uh, I'm going to go with the Stars and the Western Conference, and then in the Eastern Conference, um, you know what? I'm going to go with the Bruins, mm-hmm. but I do not have the Bruins winning at all because that Presidents Trophy curse still ha- still has to count, right? It's like the Madden and- curse. <laughs> exactly exactly so um i have uh i got the stars and the bruins and i got the stars winning at all obviously as a lightning fan i don't want that to happen but that's just what my prediction right now yeah i i totally get it Ed, it and i mean you have the stars and uh knights in the western conference finals so i mean you could easily see the stars going to the stanley cup so you know i'm all about the texas teams you know aside from the cowboys <laughs> <laughs> Other stars. <laughs> but yeah. it, should, it should be noted, uh, uh, real quick before we uh, move on. Um, uh, even just making uh, the finals as the President's Trophy uh, winner, assuming the Bruins do win, it will be a tall task because the last team to uh, make the finals as the President's Trophy winners in a full season, not a lockout season, but a full season, was the Canucks in the 2010-2011 season. So it's been well over 10 years since it's happened. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's not going to be an easy task for them. But uh, it, we are in the Super Bowl week now. Uh, it is approaching us. Um, and it would not be a normal Super Bowl week without any drama happening. Uh, we've already seen two bits of drama this week with uh, Patrick Mahomes' father. And now this story that has kind of taken over a little bit. And uh, I'm sure you guys saw it, but it's this uh, practice field at the UNLV campus where the San Francisco 49ers are having their practices. And you guys have, have you guys seen this already um, with uh, the, the, the field conditions? And I know you guys are probably going to think, all right, NFL players being prima donnas, but uh, this is their job. This is an art form, and I, I, I will back them up on this fully. But there's a science to everything. And I, when I say that, I mean there is a science to everything. And the story here is the, the Niners, and there's a lot of uh, uh, rumbling within the organization going to the NFL about this practice field and that it's very soft. And uh, we've seen in Super Bowl past of – football fields uh, injuries. I mean, in the Super Bowl just a couple of years ago, we saw Odell Beckham Jr. tear his ACL. Uh, football field, uh, Kyler Murray tore his ACL last year, and um, that ended up being the home of the Super Bowl last year. And then this year, it is in the home of the Las Vegas Raiders, who have the same type of football field that the Arizona Cardinals in. And this is a rolled-in sod. This is not turf. This is rolled in sod and uh, the practice facility where the Niners are practicing at. They planted this sod on top of a turf field. Uh, why? I, I, I don't know uh, th- where it was that. But uh, the field is too soft. And I don't know the metrics of this science, but a normal average field, the hardness level is at on average around 78 in the NFL. Uh, it goes to as low as 70. That is the lowest when it comes to a hardness level. Well, this football, this practice field the Niners are on is in the 50s. So you see how big of a change that is. That's 20 point different right there. And the Niners, they, they've noticed it, but uh, they they don't want to switch because this is the week of the Super Bowl. It would last minute would be very tough, and they've already you know made their routines, made their plans. So I, I kind of get where where they're at because of the frustration. Is this is the biggest event of the year? This is the Super Bowl. The last thing we need is crappy playing conditions on our practice field where anything can happen, injuries, you name it. So. That, that that's kind of the drama that's been happening here. Uh, you may not think it's a big deal, but I mean, it, it think of think of going to bed the night before you have, uh, you know, the biggest day of your life, and uh, 
you wake up with a kink in your neck, just something that just really could throw you off of your routine. You, you try to prevent that as much as you can. And that's what the Niners are trying to do here is, is th- prevent that from happening. But unfortunately, it's already there. There's nothing that can be done from it. It's just kind of frustration. So, uh, David, can I, I'll get your take on that. Yeah, you know, uh, what I find kind of weird is just how nonchalant Roger Cadell has been about this whole thing. Like, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but like supposedly – the uh the uh, level the field the softness level or whatever it is like doesn't exact like is below what it's supposed to be but Goodell is like no like it it's it's met all of our standards um so that's like that's like working at a Marlboro factory cigarettes and saying well it met standards well what standards lung cancer I mean <laughs> <laughs> what are you really getting at there so but he was nonchalant about it that checked all the boxes. Right. I want to hear what Ed has to say, because he obviously has a lot to say. <laughs> well, with, you know, a couple of things here. One, you're looking at, uh, you know, a difference of say you're you go to sit on your couch and it's super broken in. It's super soft. It's nice and cushy. And you're used to just flopping down and everything is, you know, just squish, you know, and that's really the type of field that uh, the 49ers are having to practice on before they go into this game where everything's going to be so much stiffer when they go to run on that turf versus what they're having to deal with all week. So it's already bad enough that you're not playing on your own field, but to play on a, to practice on one, a different surface than you're used to, and then to play on a different, on a different surface from that, which, you know, they're going to be two totally different ones to begin with. The increase of injury risk is so great that you're having players like Nick Bosa and George Kittle, who have been outspoken proponents for, you know, turf fields, you know, being eliminated, uh, you know, because they're looking at the data that shows how much injury takes place when, you know, cleats get caught, when when feet twist, when knees twist, you know, all these different things, you know, because there's such inconsistency in the playing surface that these guys are going hundred miles an hour at each other on every play. You know, you know, we take a look at last year's Super Bowl. This, the field was slick, yeah. you know, and it caused a whole lot of footing problems, which the players were once again, they were up in arms about the surface not meeting a standard that should be across all stadiums, not just, you know, one to one to one to one. So that is the big issue in my mind is I'm with the players on this. You know, there should be a standard, you know, cushion level of the field that is across all stadiums. Because when you're, when you have a product that is worth that much per person on the field, they need to protect that, you know, as much as they can for the things that can be controlled. And I feel like a field, a playing surface can be controlled. You know, this whole nonchalant, as you put it, David, uh, you know, response from Roger Goodell just goes to show it's they're not looking at everything that they can do to help the players be safer, you know, for the wear and tear that they have on their bodies. Yeah, surprise, surprise. The uh, super rich uh, NFL commissioner is out of touch. Oh, and don't forget, it's a nonprofit organization. <laughs> yeah, yeah, nonprofit, my ass. <laughs> yeah, it's, well, you know, it's what needs to happen for this because I guarantee you, and I wish no ill will on anyone, but I guarantee you, first play of the game from Mahomes towards ACL, this would be the worst Super Bowl ever because. You know, mm-hmm. who, who are the Chiefs' backup quarterback? And then the NFL will be like, oh, you know what? We should make every field the same no matter what. Oh, gee, you know what everyone has been arguing about for years I, now? Because think. That's, what, that's what would happen is if Mahomes somehow was hurt, it, this Super Bowl would, would probably end up turning, you know, into the, the least watched Super Bowl of all time mm-hmm. because, well, 
you know, the star quarterbacks gone. Uh, that's just how it is. And so it just, they, they need to really come up with something to really just even this out because it is different amongst well, other fields. And that's, Maybe, and that's can what, I ask you a quick question? I don't mean to interrupt, but uh, I want to ask you a quick question, David, because I yeah, know you watch the premier league, uh, you know, more than I do. And correct me if I'm wrong, but don't all the premier league pitches have to have the same consistency of field turf, you know, to make sure that there there is a reduced risk of injury for the players. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. Why can't they do that with the NFL? Dude, I have no freaking <laughs> clue. And you know, to to kind of jump off your point, Matthew, and like what's I mean, obviously you don't want you don't want injuries to happen to anybody. But what's sad is that like if like some like if some guy on the offensive line for either team that like nobody really cares about like if he got injured then like the reaction you know from the end will be like well that sucks but hope you feel better but of course if a guy like Mahomes goes down then it's like well we need to do something about about this and I understand because Mahomes is a marketing monster um but but still no I I that that's what that's my point too so I agree David is that is that what is it going to take to for this to actually happen, to get the wheels in motion? Because it's been complained about for a while now. And I'm not saying they aren't doing anything. I know that they have a science to a lot of these things, but it still is not working. Players are still complaining. I know nothing will ever be perfect, but do something like what Ed was saying with the Premier League is that it is the standard and the standard alone. Um and yes, I know soccer players are famous for flopping a lot, but uh, their injury rates probably aren't as much as what we're seeing in the NFL with these turf injuries. I mean, shoot, turf toe. You look at Darren McFadden. He was out with turf toe almost every other week for the Raiders. But it's just it seems like there's always something with uh, the football field turfs nowadays in the NFL. You know, you say turf toe, uh, you know, for as great as Deion Sanders was, that was the injury that knocked him out of football. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it has been around for a while and it was more just a joke at Darren McFadden because how he was supposed to be the next best thing. And then you know, mm-hmm. we know where that turned out, but uh, <laughs> it's just uh, the, they, they need to get to something. And that's why I wanted to really bring this topic up because it, there's a reason why this topic is being talked about right now on your local sports channel, ESPN, you name it, because this is important. This is the biggest game of the year for both these teams. You know, if Mahomes came out and said, oh, these they're, they're, they're over at the Raiders practice facility. I mean, they're living it up luxury. Um, yeah. So they're not well, complaining. The Niners are at the UNLV no, I know. I'm, t- I'm talking about the Chiefs and Mahomes. Okay. They're at the Raiders practice facility living it up. But if Yeah, he- yeah of course they give the freaking Chiefs the much better practice facility. It's like, could you could you make it any more obvious, NFL, like who, who you want to win, who you're pulling for in the Super Bowl? <laughs> but that, that, that's why I really want to bring this up is to kind of uh, spread that awareness a little bit more to if you didn't know about it. I know it, to some people it may sound pathetic, just go play football, whatever, but there is a lot of ramifications to this this field here. But uh, uh, I, do, I, I do agree that in general NFL players can be prima donnas, but I'm with you guys and I'm, I'm with the players here. Yeah, biggest game of the year. I mean, it, I'd be complaining about something too if – if it was a legit reason, and this is a legit reason to be complaining about it. So, but uh, yeah, guys, this is about all we have today, folks. So, if you could uh, let us know your opinions on uh, this uh, football practice field uh, uh, situation, uh, your predictions, if you're pretty uh, well knowledgeable, or even if you're not with NHL, feel free to drop your predictions below in the comments. Uh, and uh, March Madness, shoot, you could probably throw out any team right now and they may win. So, uh, go ahead, drop your predictions down below for all those i'll be interested to hear how those are and hit that like subscribe button and share these videos as well really helps us out we really appreciate it guys but till next time we are rounding third and we are headed for home